LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and I'm here today with a co-host who I may never ask to co-host again. <laughs> oh, no. Shanae <laughs> White. Not a great start. It was not a great start. We spent the last, oh, 15, 20 minutes uh, trying to uh, get microphones to work, but... But here we are. It's you fixed totally it. worth it. That's right. Because of who our guest is. That's right. So Janae is uh, a rising star at LifeLife. She's a sharp, aggressive young leader uh, who is a senior publicist here. So um, tell them a little bit about what that is. Yes, well, thank We you. are very much a book podcast, but tell them what that is. That's right. So I am the senior book publicist um, for B&H Publishing Group, which is the book publishing imprint of LifeWay. And been here. Um, I'm starting my fourth year. And basically, in a nutshell, I get to connect authors. Um, I help them clarify their message of their book, and then I connect them with the media so that they can promote the message of their book and reach their target audience through the media. So I love my job. I love books. And I'm really excited about this conversation today. All right. Well, tell us. Tell us why you're excited. Who we have here today. So our guest today is Katie Cole. She is one of the first female leaders to serve in an executive role at a large multi-site church. She is an international consultant for organizations, a leadership trainer, and a life plan facilitator. Katie is a founding member of the Women's Executive Pastor Network and the founder of MinistryChick.com. And she lives with her husband and son in Royal Palm Beach, Florida. Very mm. hot where she is right now. Very I worst can imagine. To live. <laughs> Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to have you on. Well, thank you both so much. It's really an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, okay. So, you are known for a couple of different things. One of the things uh, that I know you do is you are also an avid reader. So, we cannot get through. Um, a podcast or, or show notes without having at least two or three references, links to um, great books. Um, I know that you uh, have just written a, a new book. Uh, tell us a little bit about that in connection with women and leadership, because when someone hears the title, they may not understand exactly what that is. Can you tell us a little bit about that before we get started? Yes, well, it was a unique experience on how I ended up writing this book, but it's called Developing Female Leaders. And I spend a lot of my professional time now in ministry working with senior and executive pastors on their leadership pipelines and multi-site strategies. And I do a lot of mentoring and network meetings and conferences like many leaders do. And I had a weird experience where I had a group of senior and executive pastors three times over the course of a couple months come and ask me if I would help them with the female leaders on their team. Uh, they had these uh, le- women leaders that had a lot of capacity. Some of them were younger. Some of them were had really been in their church for a long time, but they were taking steps in leadership. And these guys wanted to do a better job developing them, opening doors for them, uh, helping them grow into their full capacity. And part of the thing that was so interesting to me is they were from very different theological backgrounds, different parts of the country and very different sized churches. So as kind of a research nerd, that was very interesting to me. And uh, as I was talking with each of these three groups of leaders, 
uh, there were many things that they were doing really well and uh, just very good hearted pastors, godly men that were really wanting to steward this leadership capacity well. But some of the things they were doing were not probably all that helpful to the women, even though they had really good intentions behind it. And I found myself a little stuck on how to explain it to them because I was trying to be respectful and help them see it from uh, the women's perspectives, but they really right. just had no idea what I was talking about. So the book is really me researching how to help leaders, men and women leaders, but in the church space, it's mostly men, how to help male leaders do better at creating cultures, uh, environments, conversations that help support and develop female leaders in their churches. Right. And, you know, if for people who you think you know what this is, or you think you know what bent uh, that Katie's coming from, I would challenge you to take a, a really hard look at the book and also uh, just some of the content that she's produced. Because when you do, you'll see, oh, it's not what I thought it was, or it's not, you know, one size fits all or one camp. Uh, it really is, hey, how, how do I engage women leaders in these different types of situation, even with different polity uh, in place? So just want to really encourage our listeners to... Um, to take a look at that book. And I do want to ask our first question though today, and that is, uh, who are you learning from? I think right now I'm spending a lot of time learning from my brothers and sisters of color. I think even writing this book opened my eyes to my own biases I carry from being from the Northwest. I grew up in Montana, but now I live in South Florida. There's very different cultures in both those places <laughs> and imagine. very different levels of diversity. <laughs> and, um, you know, even learning about biases around gender, it just opened my eyes to how many biases that un knowingly I carry about all sorts of differences among people and especially in Jesus's body of his church. And so uh, I have a, I've sought out several brothers and sisters of color that I'm trying to learn from and have places to ask dumb questions <laughs> um, and then reading on those kinds of topics. So it's, that's really what I've been working on personally. Okay. So I do want to unpack that a little bit here. I mean, you just talked about a safe place to ask dumb questions. I totally get what that means because I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky, uh, and with one basic, you know, socioeconomic, there wasn't a, a lot of diversity there from socioeconomics to ethnicity to whatever. Um, but the last, you know, well, until I got to Lifeway, I served in uh, DC for a decade and there wasn't, you know, there, it was like a minority majority. There, there wasn't really it a majority of anything. And so it, I had to figure out those places, a safe place to ask dumb questions that, you know, I, I really did feel, um, either like I could be offensive if I asked questions or, uh, like that I, that I was dumb. So can you mm -hmm. unpack that a little bit more safe place to ask dumb questions? I think this is incredibly important, especially for leaders, because we spend so much of our time having all the answers and never really looking dumb. <laughs> Most of us are sort of able to manage that for ourselves. And that's part of what gives us leadership credibility. But we all are also learners and 
the point of being a learner is that you don't know what you're doing yet. And I think many of us, it's easy to fall into the trap that it, we want to stay in the spaces and places where we feel confident and competent. Uh, but there's so many more things to learn. There's so many more areas to stretch. There's so many more sides of God that we don't know yet if we don't go exploring in kind of the land of the unknown. But I think doing that with wisdom, again, especially as leaders and influencers, who we ask questions to and the context in which we can uh, be vulnerable and not just vulnerable about ourselves, but vulnerable even in the question. Uh, I find that I, I do ask dumb questions. And once I'm a little bit more educated, I'm like, I can't even believe I used that phrase mm. to describe what I right. was wondering about, because now I realize is what that phrase means, but I honestly didn't know it meant anything different than what I thought it meant. And so uh, finding trusted people who appreciate you being on the journey, whatever that journey. And I think in churches, this is what we try to do for people seeking faith is we want them to feel like this is a trusted place to ask something about a wonderful God, and he's not going to be thrown off by it. And I think we all need those kinds of friends and coaches and support systems to explore and grow in areas that we know we need to or even want to, but have the freedom to ask the real tough questions so we don't just go through life faking it. And I I don't know about you, I see many leaders who never got that chance to ask the dumb question, even in their faith, yes. and their teaching or their confidence level reveals that they're not totally certain what they're talking about. And I don't want to be that kind of person. I want to be authentic. I want to be holistic. I want to be, I want to have integrity that what I say is fully what I believe. And we have to give ourselves space to explore that. Absolutely. I think that's so important. And Katie, you mentioned a couple books that you've been reading that have really helped to diversify your perspective in these issues. Um, would you mind sharing some of the books that have helped you in this process that you've been going through? Uh, well, I think for me, a lot of it is a combination of reading. I don't know if I can narrow it down to two books. I sure. think I'm probably mostly in a research phase on this mm -hmm. topic. So I try to read a wide variety of perspectives, just mm -hmm. like I recommend, even if you're navigating the area of gender um, in your church or leadership, it's just important to see things from all sides. And I think if we aren't willing to sort of understand the conversation from the opposite view, even it's hard to understand why we believe what we believe. Um, I'm a big champion right now of David Bailey. I really like the work that he's doing. In fact, I just feel like if I go to a Q conference and look at all of their guest speakers <laughs> on any topic, I could usually get a full run of people. So I've been following a lot of those speakers. Yes. Um, and then in the women's space, especially and diversity space, I look at to a lot of business books because I feel like not everything applies. And I think businesses and churches don't operate the same. But I do feel like there's a lot of interesting information that makes me question and wonder what we're doing in church spaces. And are we looking at this in the whole way? So uh, Cheryl Sandberg's organization Lean In has a lot of things about gender, but also about people of color and sort of diversity and uh uh, inclusion practices that I think we can learn a lot from. At the very least, I think it's important we all equip ourselves with the language that most of the people in our congregations are learning about and implementing in their workplaces so that we can help translate that and teach to it because these are the pressures that any business marketplace, healthcare, education person is trying to navigate. And many times the church is silent on these issues and it ends up being a real disconnect for people in the things they're struggling and implementing in their work life. 
That's so good. In your in the stage of life and leadership and work that you're in right now, what is the main point of emphasis for you? What are you focusing on in your leadership team your, as your yourself? Yeah, I think for me right now, my ministry has shifted. I I've uh, transitioned out of 20 years of full time church ministry to um, ministering more to leadership teams and working on more strategy things behind. But with the book, things have sort of taken off. So I feel like there's this momentum that I'm learning to steward as a primary leader that I was always on the team for, but never quite at the helm before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so but I'm also in my mid 40s. I'm married uh, for 22 years. I have a 16 year old son. And so the pull and the tension between work and home is probably more heightened than maybe it ever has been before. So Mm -hmm. I feel like the main emphasis that we're working on in all of those arenas is stewarding the momentum and working hard and doing our best. And at the same time, um, making sure that we're living sort of relaxing in the Lord at the same time and walking in a way that walks through the doors that he opens. We don't have to bang them down, but we do have to do our part in it. Um, my theme verse for right now is Galatians 3, 3. It says, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Mm-hmm. And I think as a personal leader and as a team leader, I'm always asking myself and the Lord, am I, I had good intentions when I started. Am I still uh, working by means of the spirit or have I moved into that area of the flesh and to everyone else that looks the same I might even get applauded more for my flesh work mm. but I really want to just simply walk in the spaces and the opportunities God gives me and not reach for anything more and not do anything less that's really important I think too because you know the higher you go in leadership the more tempted you are to try to be that person who has all the answers and doesn't ask the dumb questions. And Mm -hmm. part of it is because you start out so humble and you're just so grateful and gracious that someone sees something in you or, you know, God lays something on your heart and you, you get to see people come behind and and follow you in that and where uh, he's leading and, and you're, you know, you kind of start out that way. And then it seems like for many leaders, there's a certain point in time where, that kind of goes by the wayside and it's almost like I've made it, I've arrived and now, you know, or, or at least, um, from a cultural perspective, they feel like, oh, now I have to shift into this position and become the person with the answers. The expectations of people change of you too. When you're just getting out, uh, people don't expect much as you start to become more well-known or have um, more of a voice in something. They have an expectation for higher quality, more answers, deeper thinking, better answers. And I think when we fall victim to the pressures of other people, it can cause us to violate what's really most important to us. Hmm. I think one of the most impressive things that I see uh, leaders do whether they're young leaders just starting out or um, more seasoned leaders is just asking insightful questions. Mm-hmm. That shows way more intelligence mm-hmm. uh, than necessarily coming in, you know, with an answer or a canned answer because they've read so many books or they've got, you know, just something mm-hmm. they can pull yeah. off the shelf uh, almost from mm-hmm. a consultant standpoint. Um, but being able to to ask insightful questions. So, man, I love I, I love your answers. This is this, yeah, this is really good. fun. 
You've probably heard about the movie Overcomer, but you may not know that there are a few books and Bible studies inspired by the film. One is called Define by Alex Kendrick and Stephen Kendrick, which is a book and Bible study based on insights from the book of Ephesians. You can find these books and Bible studies at lifeway.com slash overcomer. Um, okay, I want to. I do want to move into question three, and that is, what are one or two things that you have to do every day to stay sharp as a leader? And I'm going to give you the caveat of, it, like, other than spiritual disciplines, other than scripture and prayer, what are one or two things that um, you have to do daily to stay sharp as a leader? Well, yeah, that number one is the is the most important answer. And definitely for me, I think a couple other things for me, I really need to connect with my family every day, even if I'm on the road, even if it's been a really big, long day as my son has grown. I think we've shifted. And as a mom, I've shifted my time of connection with him, sort of depending on where he's at in life, you know, a toddler is different than an elementary school person. And now he's 16 and he, you know, can stay up till midnight. I'm like, you know, barely awake on the couch at that point. But, but that connection time is really critical for me. I think it keeps me personally, keeps me centered on what's most important and, you know, what my first ministry really is. And then the second is kind of a revealing of my quirkiness, but I have two like midday resets that I do almost every day. The first is I a 20 minute power nap or at least some sort of uh, out of the office reset, but it usually involves some sleeping. Uh, and then that. secondly, I, when I get home or I'm, I have a home office now. So even when I'm switching gears from like work mode to home mode, I have to change my clothes. So I like get into yoga pants and a sweatshirt and I just have this mental me shift that happens that like allows me to feel like I'm in a different space. I'm starting the second half of my day. It helps me let go of the stresses of work. Um, and there's, I don't know what it is, but if I don't change my clothes, I carry the work day with me. <laughs> so it's kind of a quirky thing. Sometimes you'll find me at three o'clock in a set of yoga pants. You'll know I gave up early. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. And I am a big believer in the power of a power nap. I do that as well, as often as I can when I get home, I can't do just it. 20 minutes. That's I'll all I try. need. I just can't do it. It's just a, a good mental break and a reset. And I love that. And even just the um, the act of changing clothes and getting into the next stage and having a, a um, distinguishing factor between your work and then, okay, you're moving into family or relaxation time. I will say when I'm traveling. I think if you're an early riser, oh, sorry. Uh, I will say though, when I'm traveling and uh, especially internationally, I can, I can nap. Then. <laughs> I can't nap in a normal time frame. Mostly, helps. mostly because if I'm at home, I also have four children. Uh, there's no way for me to know. That makes there. a big difference. <laughs> uh, but a trick that I can't remember who it was a guest, a previous guest on the podcast uh, said they did was they will just slam a cup of coffee and then go to sleep. And that is their power nap because within 20, 30 minutes, they wake back up. And when they wake back up, everything's kicked back in and they're ready to go. That's genius. A and, caffeine nap. Oh. I, I think Michael Hyatt calls that Michael Hyatt calls that a nappuccino. Uh, That's yeah. amazing. That is. The yeah. best yeah. kind of espresso <laughs> drink. It may have been him. I can't remember which guest it was. But I it need was to good. try that. I've heard of that. I've never actually given it a try. Oh. So. Yeah, it works good. <laughs> that All is right. awesome. Is there anything else you'd say? 
I was just going to say, I think when you're an early riser, a power nap becomes more critical. So yes. I get up way before my family, like four, four thirty, And so by 12 o'clock, I've been going for eight hours. So a nap feels like critical. Mm. <laughs> I think people who don't get up early, maybe don't have the same thing, or maybe it's later in the afternoon that they need that reset. I completely agree. Strong believer in a power nap. <laughs> I'm glad you I'm glad you agree. So our fourth question that we ask our guests is what does leadership in your home look like? Well, I think for me, uh, this has shifted a lot over the years. You know, sometimes in uh, leadership development conversations, we talk about how leaders go from being dependent to independent, but the final stage is interdependence. And I feel like as a family and even in my marriage, we have kind of done those seasons where uh, early on we had a lot of dependencies on each other and a lot of um, kind of I don't know, different styles of connecting with each other. But as my son has gotten older, like I mentioned, I've been married for 22 years. I can really feel us operating as a unit. And the, the idea of oneness has a much richer meaning to me now after 22 years of marriage than it did early on. Um, so that's, and even I think I see it with my 16 year old son that as he grows more mature inside and uh, doesn't require management or oversight as much, uh, that has a whole different kind of connotation in how we lead as a family and have conversations and handle conflict and just navigate life together. Um, and maybe it's different because there's only three of us. I'm sure if I had eight kids, I'd have a different like level of intensity about my parenting. Uh, but that's been a really joyful thing for me as we've grown older and our, we've watched our son grow older. That's good. So how did that, how did that shift from, it sounds like more of a moving from manager to coach. How did that happen and mm. when did it happen? How did that shift happen? Yeah. Like about the time, when did it it, it kind of happen and, and what did that look like? I think the shift happened probably, um, well, there's different dynamics with that. I think um, with my son, definitely as he grew older and started uh, proving himself as responsible and trustworthy. I think for me, it was less about age and more about behavior. So mm. in some areas of his life, he was very responsible and very responsive. And it was really easy to grant him trust and freedom in those areas. And then there were other areas that weren't like that. I think part of the interdependence I was talking to that I'm finding really delightful. And for me, it's surprising because my family didn't operate like this when I was growing up is the ability to talk about that in a really healthy way. And to, um, I think the, the flip to coach is probably less about like, Hey, this, this, and this is happening. That's why your dad and I are doing X, Y, and Z and more about like, Hey, tell me how that went. What do you think about your behavior? If you were your parent, what would you do? Mm -hmm. And to have him actually answer in really reasonable ways and then be like, well, that sounds like a good plan. And I think part of it is as a teenager, my job is to actually teach him to think rather than modify his behavior. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to get him to think the questions that I would be thinking or ask himself the questions that I would ask him so that hopefully when he's no longer under my house or near me, he's asking himself those same questions and giving himself good, honest, wise answers. Or that if he doesn't follow that, he at least knows how to ask himself back into a healthy, godly posture. I think that's so wise, teaching him how to be thoughtful and going back to this theme that we've been talking about in asking questions, no matter where we are in leadership, in development, 
asking questions is so key. Um, Our last question that we ask our guests is, what would you tell your 20-year-old self about preparing to lead? That is such a great question. I think if I go back and think of myself in my 20s, uh, I I think I would encourage myself that I have more to offer than what I see around me. And I think a big piece of the of this is my own journey as a young female leader in environments that didn't have really any other women leading or serving with the same gifts that I had or the same energy or drive or um, hope that I had. And I think I would encourage myself that, you know, at in my mid 20s, I was working two jobs. I had a, I was on my second career. I had a master's degree. I was a dean at a university. I was being wow. recruited by my fast growing church. And at the time, I thought that was really normal and like mm. a typical 25 year old experience. And mm. now I'm in my mid 40s and I'm like, oh, that's not typical. (laughs) There was a lot going on there. And I think if I had had the ability to recognize that, not in like a proud of myself way, but like, wow, God is giving me opportunities that not everybody gets. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should think longer term about this. Maybe I should consider how I want to steward this. I probably would have sought out mentors or uh, gotten help and insight from people that could see more than I could see. I feel like all through my 20s and early 30s, all I could see was the job I was in. Mm. It never dawned on me that there might be a next step for me or another open door or a higher level of influence. So I did very little work on getting better for something else. I got a, I did a lot of work on maximizing where I was at. And that has benefits. But I think I would tell myself to just... Uh, imagine things going well rather than imagining things just always being what they are today. And when did that shift happen for you? Um, starting about, start talking about being in your twenties and early thirties, being in that leadership and just kind of focusing on where you are now. When did that change to being able to envision where you could go next and having mentors speak into your life? Yeah, I wish it was some great, um, you know, awareness that I had as I like went into my older adult life. But the reality is uh, our personal stories, my husband has uh, some severe chronic health issues and I had to go back into full time work after being home with our son for several years. And his prognosis was not good, my husband. And all of a sudden I I found myself in my mid thirties going, gosh, I'm not going to be a stay at home mom for 15 or 20 years and Mm -hmm. dabble in church work and write a book on the side for whatever. Like I'm actually going to be the breadwinner. I have a 30 year career that I need to steward. Mm -hmm. I honestly had never thought of my work life as a long-term career. Mm -hmm. And part of that is being a woman. Part of that is growing up in the seventies and eighties. Part of that is being from blue collar Montana. Um, Part of that is being from a whole family that never went to college. Like it just never dawned on me that I would have a run that was like a significant amount of time or could actually do something. And so for me, I feel like part of the blessing of that difficulty and that kind of, um, you know, what Joseph calls the land of suffering (laughs) for me personally was God waking me up to the possibility that he might have something significant for me to contribute Mm -hmm. that takes years, if not decades to build and steward Mm -hmm 
to get maximum impact. And so the questions I asked myself were totally different. What kind of work do I want to do for 20 years? Who do I want to do it with? What's the stuff that really drives me? What is God really calling me to in, in these sorts of spheres, not just wife and mom and like good neighbor and good daughter. And so that exploration has been a 15 year journey for me. And I think part of what is so, um, beautiful and kind of full circle for me now, to be really honest, is to have an opportunity to do things like write this book or work with churches on this topic and help uh, leaders and churches create environments where women can see the potential of actually having a significant calling. As believers, we really are all called to ministry and to make an impact and being able to give voice to that and awareness to that and raise the level of conversation among leaders of women, but also leaders for women is really kind of a beautiful gift and fruit from what's been a pretty difficult season for me and our family. Okay. So, um, I want to ask one final question of actually both of you, uh, Katie, uh, I'll ask you to go first though. And that is, you know, there's a, a lot of female listeners to this podcast, but there's uh, probably a few more male than female. What is one thing, and you have to do this succinctly because I want to res- respect your time and I know we have hard out uh, pretty soon, but what's one thing that a a, a male leader has done in the past, like one situation or, or a conversation or what's one thing that you're like, man, this was done really well and it really helped, you know, lift a lid for me and my leadership. I think for me, the most significant pieces happened when I got honest, constructive feedback from men who were in higher levels of authority than me with the purpose of making me better. And I think it's hard sometimes for uh, most leaders, uh, particularly male leaders, to understand that women get very little constructive feedback. They might get a lot of like, good job. You know, that was really great to have you up there doing that. But they very rarely get someone who takes the time to sit down and analyze what they just did and help them see what's good that they should keep doing and what could be better. And then. Uh, do it in a way that believes that they'll have another opportunity and that they'll do better the next time. Anytime a man, and I can probably count that on both hands, the number of time I had someone on their own volition without me asking circle back and probably actually on one hand and care enough and see enough in me to help me see myself more realistically and the potential I have. Good deal. All right, Janae. Oh, that's so good. I don't know if I can say it any better <laughs> than what Katie said. Um, I completely agree with that. I think constructive um, feedback is so key for women. Um, and I also think that um, it's been so helpful for me when I've been in situations and in meetings um, when there's a male leader and especially when you're in the minority of um, going back to the questions that um, we've been talking about kind of as a theme throughout this this podcast today and being asked Um, given a voice and affirmed that my voice matters and being asked, um, you know, what I think about a topic and um, just being affirmed in that way and giving me a place, even if I'm not confident to speak up on my own. I try to be, but sometimes when you're in the minority, it can just be really tough and you can just kind of shrink back. um, And I think being called out and called on um, and asked um, to have a voice at the table, I think that is extremely helpful. Good deal. All right. 
Well, Katie, thank you so much for uh, sharing time with us and also just sharing all your thoughts on leadership. Uh, Again, would highly encourage you uh, to check out her book and also uh, just follow her on social media um, and any place that you find yourself from Facebook to Twitter to wherever. But that book is Developing Female Leaders. Check it out. Katie Cole. Thanks for listening.